Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start the week. Hopefully a lot of you mothers tuning in were able to have a good Mother's Day holiday this weekend. Maybe get the chance to relax a little bit. Today's show is coming at you here heavy. We've got a lot of things going on. We're going to be joined first by Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. If you folks have opened up your market apps, you've noticed there's a lot of red on the screen today. Jim will give us his take on what's going on here broadly in the markets. Then in segment two, John Baranek of DTN weather is going to join us. Quite a warm-up for some of the Corn Belt coming this week. John will tell us how long that will last. And then in segment three, Jackie Fatka joins the program. She's the policy editor there at Farm Progress Companies, and she is continuing to track the fallout from the SEC climate disclosure proposal. We've discussed it a few times on the show. Now, there have been some changes. There's been some pushback. Jackie will bring that to us. And then in segment four, Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers, will be on the show. NCGA is still working to reduce the fertilizer tariff barriers that farmers are confronting. Chris has an update on that and a call to action to try and get some progress made in Washington, D.C. So stay with us, folks. A lot more AOA coming. But first, let's talk markets. Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, joins us today. Jim, what is happening today in the markets? What's with all the red on the screens today in the equities, the bonds, the commodities, the ags, oil, you name it. Everything looks red. Right now, we came into the week, unfortunately, definitely, Mike, on a risk-off type of mentality. It's a couple things that are driving it. On the equity side of the equation, we've still got the hangover from last week's raising of the interest rates. So that's part of the problem. We've done some technical damage on the charts. The other thing going on that's really got the world's attention is what's going on in China. COVID is still raging over there. It's actually still here in the United States, unfortunately, but over there, they're handling it a little bit different. They're continuing to lock down a lot of their population, up to 25 to 30 million people. It is slowing economic activity over there. That is driving inflation up for the United States, as well as dropping the demand for commodities. So that's part of the reason. Then the other thing we're looking at, Mike, is plain and simple. After a very cool, wet spring, we have flipped the switch and we have brought summer to the Midwest, especially the eastern part of the Midwest, where we're going to have, it looks like, up to a week, a very warm but very dry forecast, which means we're probably going to get a lot of seed put in the ground this week. Jim, you, you said a phrase there that I've heard a lot when we're discussing the markets, and I was wondering if you could explain what it means. And you said investors have a risk-off mindset coming into today. What do you think risk-off and risk-on? What do those two things mean? Well, what I mean risk-off, it's plain and simple, is in general, the investors like to be bullish. They like to own assets, own stock, own something. When they say risk off, what they're doing is they're getting out of an asset that may depreciate in value to, treat them to pretty much what they're doing nowadays, Mike, is going to cash. So what they're doing is they're saying, look, I don't un understand the uncertainty. I'm not sure where this is going. So I'm going to pretty much take my money and move it to the sidelines so I get a clearer picture of what's going on. In the agriculture sector and a lot of the commodity sectors, we've seen a lot of investment come in over the last year, year and a half, as people have been buying these commodities. It's a way to hedge inflation. If you're trying to hedge inflation, products as things are getting more expensive, you, you, you buy commodities traditionally. Some of those people are now moving to the sidelines because they're fearful that this higher inflation is going to actually essentially hurt the demand for commodities, hence the weakness we're seeing across the board today. 
Jim, we are going to have the uh, the planting progress crop conditions report come out a little bit later today. What is the trade anticipating to see for last week's progress on corn and soybeans? I haven't seen the actual number yet. We haven't got the average guess, but I think you're not going to see a whole lot of progress because it was such a cold, wet week. So I think if you actually look at it, we're still going to be way behind normal. We should be close to roughly 50% planted by the corn. I don't think we'll be any close to that. But then again, next week, I think we're going to make a huge leap this upcoming week. So next week we'll get close to accurate, which is going to be kind of interesting, Mike, because where we set ourselves up for the summertime, because the the planning progress is going to be condensed to about a seven-day window for a huge chunk, at least, of the eastern Corn Belt, which really is going to set the table that we're going to have to have perfect weather during that crop's pollination, or you could really cause a lot of problems to this uh, production cycle. So uh, the weather this summer is probably only going to get more intense as we try to nail down when this crop gets planted and when it may pollinate. Well, Jim, there is some green on the screen in the ag commodity markets, and it's again in the wheat markets. In all classes of wheat are higher today. Where do you see this market moving in the short term? I think in the general, you got to be a little bit friendly to the wheat. There's three things that I think are driving the wheat. The first one is what's going on in Ukraine, obviously. There's talk that that crop may be a third smaller uh, due to the conflict going over there. But then the real problem is there's up to 25 million metric tons of grain sitting in Ukraine right now that may, if the Russians haven't stolen it all, that they can't get it out because of Russia's controlling the ports or blocking the port access to the ports. So even if you produce it, you may not be able to get it exported. They are the fourth largest exporter of wheat in the world and the eighth largest corn in the world. So if they can't get that crop out, that's part of the problem. The other thing going on is just the weather is not cooperating. In the southern plains, they're talking temperatures in the mid to upper 90s with 20 to 30 mile an hour winds. So whatever moisture those guys got last week, it's going to be gone by noon. So you got the wheat in the plains that is really going to be under the torch with that. But then you go north into the northern plains, the Dakotas, into Canada, where the rain just is relentless. The QPS is talking two to three inches of rain over the next five days. So we're not going to get to spring week crop planted on time either. So the wheat is catching it pretty much on both the northern plains and the southern plains weather-wise. Is it time to get some wheat sold, Jim, or is this market going to keep running? It sounds like the factors are, are supporting the market right now. I think right now, in general, if you're trying to save this bullish or bearish, I think you got to say the factors are a little bit supportive at this point in time. Now, if you're a producer and you can lock in profitability levels, I still would encourage producers not to get so bold up that they can't see straight. Things could change dramatically. The weather patterns could change. The reality is if we got a ceasefire with the Ukraine overnight for something, you would see a lot of risk off coming off the market because I think a lot of what's going on, especially in the wheat, has to do with what's going on in the Ukraine and the lack of exports out of that part of the world. For some reason, that conflict would end overnight. That would You could essentially get this huge paradigm shift in your pricing. So don't be afraid to lay that risk off and use puts maybe to put a floor under it or sell some cash and maybe use calls if you want to play the what if we stay too wet in the northern plains or too dry in the southern plains. Jim, we're also seeing weakness through the livestock sector today. Live cattle, have we broken any chart formations here in that market in the over the summertime? Well, right now, I'm a little bit disappointed. We, we gapped lower today, like on both the June and the August cattle. You've taken out some trend line support. So we've done a little bit of damage. The June cattle has a little bit of support right here at, at essentially the 130.97 level. So uh, definitely something we need to be a little bit caught, worried about if you're a producer of cattle. I'm halfway still optimistic, Mike, that we could see some demand for the livestock coming into the, into the summer grilling season. Like I said, we really haven't had a really good grilling season yet. It's been so cold and wet here in the Midwest. Um, the economy right now is still very, very tough. But if you're in the east, you know, 
if you look at people on vacation, open table, people are still going out and spending money. So hopefully we'll get some demand here. But the charts definitely did some damage today. I know I'm excited for these 90 degree days to throw a ribeye on the grill. Jim, before we let you go real quick, lean hogs, do you think weakness coming here with the Chinese lockdowns? That's exactly what it is. I mean, so China goes for the world economy, so goes everything. China hasn't been a big supplier of the uh, buyer of U.S. pork recently, but yes, as their economy slows down, it hurts the demand for hogs for the United States producer, unfortunately. Lots of factors at play globally in the markets. Thanks to Jim McCormick of agmarket.net for bringing them to our attention. Jim, appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me on. And folks, stay with us. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us after the break. We're going to talk a little more detail about those hot temps moving across the Corn Belt. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Less isn't always more. Take managing a fleet, for instance. You need a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. And that's exactly what you get with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Roadmaster XL even adds more life to your fuel system's injectors and injector pumps. That's a lot more than we can say about typical number two diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more.
while we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Well, weather is moving the markets today. I'm sure a lot of folks right now tuning in are probably ready to get out, get in the field. And this week looks like it might be a good one, as Jim McCormick just mentioned. Well, to give us a little more detail on what this week might look like is John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Appreciate that. You know, we just heard this heat wave is coming here to the central part of the U.S. It begins today. John, tell us how far north are these above average temps going to extend across the country today? Uh, really? I mean, if you're talking about from Texas and really northern Mexico all the way up into Ontario and Quebec, we've got it uh, right through mo much of North America here uh, going through much of the week. Uh, temperatures anywhere between 10 to 20 degrees above normal are going to be pretty common uh, for, for much of that entire region. And you mentioned it's going to stick around all week long. Is it then going to push itself east, John, or do we have to worry about any severe weather springing up when we get this kind of a heat wave in May? Yeah, I mean, well, well, May is a good time to do it, but really it's not, it's not necessarily the, uh, the ridge of high pressure and the heat wave that's really coming with it. It's the, the trough out in the western half of North America that's really going to bring all the energy uh, together to, to create the severe weather. So uh, we do have, uh, uh, I mean, that, that trough isn't going to move very far, so we're going to have this kind of frontal boundary from uh, Wyoming into Minnesota and western Ontario, Kind of stick around, waffle around uh, all week. We'll get a couple of low pressure centers kind of to develop along that and, and bring in some severe weather uh, to those areas throughout the course of the week. But eventually that trough will gain enough energy to push its way eastward this weekend. And then we'll start to see those uh, showers and thunderstorms move their way eastward here this weekend and going into next week as well. Um, as far as bringing severe weather into the eastern half of the country, it's going to be a little difficult to do, but I think the best chance for that would be um, possibly along the Mississippi River Valley on Saturday, and then the eastern Midwest into the uh, Mid-Atlantic on Sunday. But I think right now those, those chances aren't that great. A lot of the energy pushing that off is actually up in Canada rather than in the U.S. So chances for severe weather are a little bit lower than we might expect when we see a huge change in temperatures from a really hot to a, you know, a much cooler uh, pattern coming through. All right. So not a real chance of severe weather for the eastern half of the country until we get out to next weekend. John, I want to circle back in on some of those lows that could emerge from this trough here over Wyoming, Montana, into the Dakotas. The chance for more moisture up in that part of the country, is it substantial? Yes, it is. So, I mean, it's pretty much every day showers and thunderstorms moving through. Um, yeah, the main ones are actually today. We've already seen some pretty good rainfall across the Dakotas and into Minnesota, some severe weather associated with that. Uh, we get a little bit of a break tomorrow, but Wednesday, Thursday is another low pressure center wrapping up. Um, you know, we're looking at widespread one to two inches of rainfall across a lot of this region. Um, and, you know, where those thunderstorms hit, they're typically a lot higher than that. So 
Um, you know, we're look, we're looking at some pretty good precipitation here. It's going to keep fields a little bit too wet uh, than than folks would like. Uh, but you know, some of the areas here are still dealing with drought. Those uh, pastures out in the uh, western half of the plains that that need the rainfall, they're going to get some. All right. Well, that is good news for those folks out there. John, I'm looking at the weather map right now. It looks like it's going to be 100 degrees today in Lubbock, Texas. That Southern Plains region, that drought is under fire. Are they also calling for high winds with this hot weather? Are you concerned about fire risk across the Central Plains uh, this week? I am concerned about fire risk, but not necessarily because of uh, strong winds. Um, You know, it'll, it'll still be breezy kind of winds gusting 30 to perhaps 40 miles per hour. Uh, but nothing extreme like we've seen over the last few months where we're looking at, you know, days on end of 60, 70 mile an hour wind gusts. So we're not going to see that too much. Uh, but what is the issue is, you know, it's, it's, we're well into drought in these areas. Um, uh, the winds are still going to be up. Temperatures are, are way up. You mentioned 100 degrees in Lubbock, but it's going to be in the 80s and 90s all week long down there. And, um, you know, we are going to get some occasional thunderstorms to pop up out of this. And any lightning strike in a, in a dry spot could really spark something real quickly. And with the drought and everything uh, going on, they could uh, spread pretty quick. That is a risk, folks. Be safe out there across the countryside. If you're, if you're going to be outdoors, if you're in a place that has some severe fire risk, they have been brutal this year. Let's not add to that total if we can't help it. John, I want to ask you perhaps a foolish question from somebody who is not a meteorological expert. This is a big shift in temperature. It feels differently outside here across the central part of the Corn Belt. Is a heat wave like this or a spike of warmer temperatures indicative of a big pattern shift or is this just the ebb and flow of the natural systems? For the most part, this is just ebb and flow. Really what's, what's causing this is thunderstorm complexes moving across the equator. Uh, some people may have heard that called uh, the Madden-Julian Oscillation or the MJL. It's just a fancy term for some uh, thunderstorms that you know, generally move across uh, the equator. And uh, when they, they have a strong enough signal, they can impact what goes on here in North America. And we're, we're in kind of a period where they're moving into uh, a situation that, that favors a good eastern ridge of high pressure and uh you know with a lot of the areas in the southwest being dry um you know temperatures pop up really easily there and then they drift off uh up into uh, the the midwest and into uh, canada as well so uh, it's just an ebb and flow you know it's it's kind of you know like a four or five day uh, heat wave so it's not uh, particularly intense for too long of a period of time Uh, And then we are going to get some cooler weather moving in for this weekend and going into next week. So it's just kind of part of the ebb and flow. You know, these these sorts of things just kind of come together sometimes, and it looks like it's going to happen here this week. All right. And hopefully a lot of farmers can take advantage of this warmer, drier week to get out there and get into the field. John, I want to turn our focus real quick to South America. Uh, Of course, that crop down in Brazil, that dry or rainy season has come to an end, is coming to an end. Bring us up to speed. How are things looking down there in South America as that corn crop moves towards the finish? Yeah, in central Brazil, it's not good. Soil moisture is definitely critical. Uh, they haven't seen a drop of rain in some of these areas in almost two months, and uh, a lot of the areas haven't seen anything for about a month. And, uh, you know, that was happening right before the crop got into pollination. And, uh, you know, we don't see a whole lot of information out of these areas right now. They, they kind of tend to focus on 
planning and, and harvest progress instead of crop conditions. But uh, from the little of the information I've been gathering, uh, crop conditions have been declining across, you know, Matagrosa, which is produces about half of the safrina corn uh, for Brazil. And so, um, you know, things are just getting dire out there. And, and you mentioned we're coming to, to the finish line, but, you know, there's still a ways yet to go um, for some of these areas. And one thing to, to kind of note over southern Brazil, which has gotten some much better rainfall and they're much better shape um, overall, uh, you know, they're getting systems moving through and producing some showers. But one next week looks like it's going to be pretty cold. And we could see some frost conditions develop there over southern Brazil uh, for a couple days next week. You know, we're a little too far off into the future to see how much damage or widespread uh, impact that could have. But it's something we're definitely going to have to watch because a lot of that crop is still pollinating. So uh, we could see some frost having some potential to impact the southern parts of the country as well. All right. Yeah, more headlines, more scarcity potentially coming into this crop. John, take me out a little bit longer term. Let's talk La Nina. What are the developments here over this past week with that broad oscillation? We haven't seen a whole lot of difference. Um, models are still trending to keep La Nina around through the summer and into the fall. We have seen, you know, um, the, the first model to really pick up on this was our American model. And uh, what we've seen kind of over the last week is it's been starting to loosen its grip as we get into uh, the winter season. We've seen a lot more variability in the model. Uh, it's been a lot very consistent keeping La Nina around, but now it's kind of showing some signs where uh, towards January um, we, we get back to, into potentially neutral conditions. So that would be a lot earlier than expected. Usually these things hang on all through the winter months and they, they alleviate themselves in the spring. Um, but our American model is kind of getting a little confused with itself and giving us the potential for getting out of this a little bit earlier. All right, but if it sticks around this summer, the potential for dryness, particularly in the West, stays with us here domestically. Is that right? That's correct, yes. So La Nina favors a nice central warm, dry heat ridge across the middle of the country, most of North America. Uh, not so much across the East Coast, and even parts of the Eastern Midwest may be all right, but yeah, most of the country, hot and dry, is still in play. All right, well, folks, weather will be coming more and more into focus over the next couple of weeks, and John Berenick of DTN will continue to keep us updated. John, always appreciate your insights. And always good talking to you, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick with us. Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will be joining us. We're going to talk about updates from D.C. later on on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. 
radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we look at the market trade, soybeans under pressure. The corn market trying its best to rally off overnight lows with wheat markets. They've been up and down a little bit now, starting to fade just a bit here in the wheat markets as we work through our morning. It's going to be a busy week for the ag commodities. We have a WASDE report on Thursday. Now we'll have the agency's first balance sheets for the 22-23 marketing year, which will likely include an optimistic view of Ukraine's trade. It will also include USDA's first field survey-based winter wheat yield estimates. Now, heading is delayed this year, so we'll probably get a better yield estimate next month, but this week's number will give us a decent foundation for expectations of the crop. We'll have our weekly crop progress report this afternoon as well. It's expected to show very slow progress for corn, soybean, and spring wheat planting once again, and that will likely be the case for about the northwestern 20 to 25% of the belt this week with a lot of uh, heavy rains expected especially across parts of North Dakota, Minnesota, into um, southern Canada, Manitoba as well. Even some thunderstorms in the forecast for parts of Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin today. Most of the Corn Belt going to warm up, dry out for rapid field work, though, this week with uh, record temperatures spreading across much of the Midwest here before moderating next week. Stock market under pressure once again this morning. The VIX up near 33. The Dow Jones currently down 313 points with crude oil down 307 a barrel at 106.70. Right now, numbers July corn three and three quarters lower, 781. July beans down 18 to three quarters, 1603 to quarter. July Chicago wheat five higher, 1113 and a half. Kansas City wheat for July up 12 at 11.82 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat for July is eight higher at 12.16 and three quarters. June hogs down 217, 101.92. Live cattle for June down 157, 131.17. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Lots of things are happening in Washington, D.C. right now. Supreme Court garnering most of the headlines, most of the protest action in D.C. And while all of that is an important issue, it's now a little bit outside the purview of AOA. However, there are some other things that certainly will impact farm businesses. These are being discussed in Washington, D.C. And joining me to help make sense of a lot of the proposals that are being floated in that city is Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor with Farm Progress Companies. Jackie, thank you for joining us today. Talk with you. Always great to talk with you, Mike. Uh, it's uh, There's always something that's being talked about that everyone's got to scratch their head and wonder what's really going on out there in D.C. Yes, indeed. And one of those things we've discussed a few times here on the show, it's been brewing for about a month, Jackie, but it's catching more attention in the ag community. And this is the SEC proposed climate disclosure rule. Could you give us a refresher? What is the SEC proposing with this rule? You know, so just kind of a big picture on what they're wanting to do. They're they're wanting to know what the environmental impact is on a business. And so, you know, that seems like an easy request, but you know, any any product that the farm the farmer will produce ends up whether it's a, you know, General Mills and and it's your cereal or whether it's fed to an animal that ends up in your poultry that that's chicken that you buy at the grocery store. And so this SEC rule has the potential to really require a much more extensive requirement and notification of what they're doing on their farm and being able to quantify it. And right now, you know, it's supposed to just be for the larger organizations, but it could trickle all the way back. And you mentioned that we've only really talked about this for a month. And that's because the SEC only gave 30 days to comment on a rule that is 510 pages long with over a thousand technical footnotes and also 750 direct questions that they're asking for insight for. And so they only allowed 39 days to review. And so that's something that that last week, um, over 100, almost 120 ag groups said, hey, we need more time on this. We need to have more understanding of what kind of impact this would be and you know how this could impact reporting personal information, business-related data. Um, you know, a lot of times in ag, in ag country, we are concerned if they know the farm and, you know, does that open us up for litigation or maybe targeting from um, activist groups? Um, you know, a lot of issues with with data. And also, too, you know, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Does it actually limit being able to get a loan if you don't have the ability to say that you are a climate smart farm? Does it limit your ability to go into a, a bank and actually get funding? And so. A lot of ripple effects that we could see from this rule and uh, a lot of things that are kind of throwing up some red flags. And, um, you know, the other thing, it could cost companies $6.7 billion over the next three years. And that's not just ag, that's everyone. And that's at a time where we're all dealing with higher costs and inflation. And, and that's going to also have to be added and passed on to consumers somewhere. So very concerning uh, this rule out of the SEC. They're asking for some more time to make sure that we really can fully vet and and discuss some of the impacts of this rule. So, you know, good job for the ag groups to say, hey, let's let's get some more time on this. Let's make sure we really understand what this impact would be. 
Yeah, and I'm really glad you're continuing to write about this issue. I reached out to folks at the SEC about this, and they said, oh, don't worry, this is only going to apply to publicly traded companies, which is true. That's who's going to be required to report this data on their SEC filings. But Jackie, you made a great point in your article that anybody who sells to these companies, they need to turn in their climate records so that the company can accurately report it on these disclosures, and that's how it trickles down. Jackie, what is the current deadline for the end of the comment period on this rule? Is it this week? You know, I believe so. Um, it was supposed to be around this time. Um, and so that's why they're, they were asking for an additional 180 days so that they could um, have some more time. Actually, it was first published March 21st. And so the 39 days, we might actually be, um, that, that might be why last week they actually asked for more. I have not heard if they actually granted more um and and so maybe people were still kind of scrambling to try to get some some of those comments in um but again it, it really has um a, a much larger impact than i think the sec is even fully understanding and and this also is just another attempt from this administration to really really expand their regulatory out the their regulatory reach and and who it's impacting and a lot of times we have those unintended consequences that we don't fully know until this is is you know actually put into place but this this is a long time out i mean this is a proposed rule they'd still have to finalize the rule so this is uh they're still in that fact finding situation right now but a lot of concerns from ad country if this does go into effect Indeed, there is. So we'll continue to watch this. Hopefully they do expand that comment period and more folks can get their their insights into our friends at the SEC. Jackie, I want to turn our focus to another issue. This one was popped up last week. Massive amounts of food aid dollars are being spent by this administration and governments around the world to get food aid to the folks who need it in this time of crisis. But I understand there are some developments or some issues with shipping American food aid. Can you fill us in on how that works and what might be changing? So right now, um, the current law actually requires that 50% of U.S. food aid is exported on U.S. flagged sh vessel ships. And so, you know, that it's great that we are able to ship our goods overseas. And this is just another way that if we're going to be shipping our goods, that U.S. companies are also benefiting from those shipments that are overseas. Um, the problem is, is that it's actually making our food aid dollar not be as effective. So it's it's very expensive sometimes and the the shipping cost actually is is quite a bit more to use US vesseled um US flagged vessels. And so the thought is um you could actually the the current law allows the president of the US or the Secretary of Defense or Congress to waive that 50% requirement temporarily. And the Senate actually introduced a resolution last week that would do exactly that. It was a bipartisan me measure that would essentially declare a state of emergency and it would waive that car cargo preference requirement on the food exports. So, um, you know, Ukraine is a breadbasket of um, and, and really feeds a lot of people, whether it's Africa or the Middle East. Um, there is a lot of countries that are directly impacted by this war, and it's not going to get over anytime soon. And as, as we continue to have this war, the Ukraine conflict uh, continuing to impact their production capacity, it is really impacting a lot of countries, uh, people around the world who are not going to be able to have enough food. And so this is something that 
um, may be needed to make sure that we continue to have food that goes out and be able to do it um, effect cost effectively and be able to make sure that we get the food where it needs to go, when it needs to go as quickly as we can go. And so, um, you know, this is something that we'll be watching to see if Congress or the president or the secretary of defense decides to make this change to ensure that we do have money going out. You know, the the end of April, the White House also approved $670 million in food assistance. Um, and this is part of the Bill Emerson Humanitarian Trust. And this is also, they also have some funds out of the Commodity Credit Corporation to help cover transportation costs. And so obviously nobody wants to see anyone go hungry. And that is one of the um, really awful things that not only those in Ukraine are dealing with, but every there are a lot of people across the world who are going to be dealt um, less food or no food because of that situation. And so this is important for us to make sure that we are doing some things that help get the food where it's needed, when it's needed, as quickly as it's needed. Yeah, if we're going to be spending money on helping people eat, we should make sure we can help as many people eat as we can rather than only paying for freight on the way overseas. Jackie, I want to come to a topic that we are going to be, I'm sure, discussing a lot over the next 18 months. It's starting to heat up now, and this is Farm Bill Conversations. I know you had the chance to talk to a lot of folks in D.C. recently. What have you heard about the 2023 Farm Bill so far? Yeah, I was just out in D.C. Um, speaking with the top uh, House and Senate Ag Committee leaders. And I think, you know, as we head into the, the 2018 Farm Bill and looking at the 2018 Farm Bill and how we could change that for the 2023 Farm Bill, you know, we're in a very different situation now. Uh, you know, we just talked about the Ukraine war. Um, obviously, that is creating a very different environment for the price, commodity prices. And so whenever you write a Farm Bill when commodity prices are high, that's always a, a different dynamic. But even though commodity prices are high, input costs are through the roof. And that is something that we continue to hear from the House and Senate ag leaders of how do we craft a bill or craft a program that creates a safety net that also accounts for these higher input costs. And so that's definitely something that I don't think they figured out. I don't think that they have the solution yet, but there is a lot of talk about how you you factor in these high input costs and in creating a program that that it does provide that true safety net that even though prices might be high or your production might be low, you know, how do you still manage some of those risks that come with um, ch challenge to get even a challenge to get the 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 goods that are needed, right? So in that and disaster, I think they're still trying to figure out how do we how do we do a permanent disaster assistance? I think that's another big thing that we're going to watch and see. Um, and then conservation funding. What where does that money come from? How is it paid for? And you know what that whole climate com the whole climate discussion is going to be part of this farm bill more than it's ever been before. I think. Yeah. So if you're tired of hearing about the word climate change, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to turn off your media for the next 18 <laughs> months, because I think Jackie is right. We're going to be discussing it a lot. Jackie Fatka from Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us today. Always great to be with you. And folks, stick around. Chris Edgington of the National Corn Growers will join us after the break to talk about the issues with fertilizers. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 
What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. 
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know. Because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch. And we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils. Oil that runs smart. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be talking here in just a bit with Chris Edgington of the National Corn Growers Association. But before we do that, I wanted to highlight some other issues that are developing out there in the market. One thing that I'm sure a lot of you folks have noticed if you ever check Zillow or just drive around looking at real estate values and whatever your closest town is, Home prices are high, that housing market is hot, and Federal Reserve officials are counting on higher mortgage rates to tone down the overall economy. But it's not clear that the market is going to cool fast enough. It's been about a month since we've been seeing rates rise on residential mortgages, and demand has continued to be very, very strong. In fact, the median selling price for an existing home in March 2022 was 15% higher than a year earlier. Taking a look at some of the charts of the housing market, it is almost a vertical line here over the past year. But the worry is that this is going to start to slow down as these home prices percolate further and further into people's bottom lines. Over the past two years, of course, throughout the COVID pandemic, there have been a lot of assistance programs. There have been a lot of dollars floating around in the economy, partially. That's why we're dealing with the inflation issues that we're grappling with. But a lot of folks have chosen to take that money and invest it in physical assets. We talk about that here on AOA when we're discussing managed money moving around through the financial system. These fund managers are trying to, to grab physical things, that the value of which will grow up as inflation rises. And that's what a lot of residential buyers do with their homes. So we're seeing that take place, but as their consumer dollar gets pulled farther down by high fuel prices, 
high food prices, high everything prices, their ability to purchase homes backs off. And a lot of times when we're grappling with higher energy prices and a decline in home values, ladies and gentlemen, those are often two of the things that are contingent or at least conditional for an, a recession to start. We have not connected with Chris Edgington yet today. We're still working on that, but they over at the National Corn Growers are working on something very, very big. And even if, if we can't make a, a connection with Chris today, I do want to be able to talk this out with our listeners because it is vital. NCGA recently has, in fact, today has responded to the USDA public comment period on their report. Now, this is a big report. And it's something we've been discussing in ag for some time. This is access to fertilizer. USDA has issued this report titled Access to Fertilizer, Competition and Supply Chain Concerns. USDA is out there. They're trying to figure out what is the impact of higher fertilizer prices on farmers across this country. And I think it's clear that the impact isn't positive. As I talk to growers out there, nobody is thrilled that fertilizer prices are as high as they are. And NCGA has been looking at a lot of the causes of high fertilizer prices over the past year. They published a report late last fall, perhaps early this winter looking at how, yes, indeed, crude oil prices certainly impact fertilizer prices as crude gets more expensive. It's one of the, the key feedstocks to nitrogen production. The price of nitrogen fertilizer rises, and that's not shocking, I think, to a lot of us. What perhaps was a little more shocking to a lot of folks in the industry was that the actual price of nitrogen fertilizer is less correlated to the price of crude oil and more correlated to the price of corn. If you're making more, fertilizer suppliers recognize they can charge a little higher value for the product that's driving those returns on your operation. And of course, this past year, we've seen tariffs added to the mix here on the fertilizer issue. So all of these factors come together. We just heard from Jackie Fatka discussing this farm bill planning here for 2023, and input prices are going to be a huge part of the discussion in the farm bill. They're also going to be under discussion here this year at USDA, particularly as it applies to fertilizer. So, folks, I will be posting this on our Twitter and Facebook page. If you're not following the show, please, by all means, we'd encourage you to do so. You can find us on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show that'll take you right to us or just search for agriculture of america they'll find us pretty quick quickly and same story on facebook search there and i'm going to put this link that ncga has published today this is the link you need to submit your comments the public comment period for this um, uh, article from USDA closes Monday, May 16th. Folks, that is one week from today. If higher fertilizer prices have impacted your bottom line, and hey, if you bought fertilizer this year, those prices have impacted your bottom line. Now's the time to tell USDA how. Uh, you can log in right here. I'll post this on our website. You can also find it on the ncga.com. Check out the take action tab and it'll pull you right down there and they've got it streamlined for you you can type in the subject you want to say you can add your own message you personalize it how have these markets or specifically how have tariffs impacted your bottom line how have they changed the way your operation works you do have to enter your info. These comments are not anonymous. If this has impacted you, write your name, sign it. You are a farmer grappling with these issues and your representatives in Washington, DC, the folks you're paying at the USDA with your tax dollars need to hear from you. So I will tweet this out folks. Again, this is the National Corn Growers Take Action Move on Fertilizer Issues, the Access to Fertilizer Report from USDA. And if you don't see it on our site, you can head to ncga.com 
and visit the Take Action tab to get the dropdown and to see what is going on there. We did have some other interesting global news. The Prime Minister of Sri Lanka has resigned. Uh, this has been an issue kind of on the periphery of ag media for the past year, but the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka, when he was elected, he immediately outlawed all synthetic fertilizer in that country. They were going to be the first country to nationally go organic, and instead they created a food crisis. Uh, 22 million people in that country, uh, they demanded that he resign. The president has resigned, and his older brother, the Prime Minister, need to quit for mishandling information. And uh, there is some pushback here. The big move to organics in Sri Lanka did not work. It did not work at all. And now that country is struggling to feed its people. So we'll continue to watch that. As Jackie mentioned, nobody likes to see folks going hungry, especially when a lot of you listeners are in that food production business. Folks, stay with us tomorrow on AOA. We're going to be talking to Ken Zuckerberg of CoBank. He just compiled a report on the veg oil industry. And given the fireworks we've seen in soybean oil, sunflower oil, palm oil, over the last two and a half months. I think he'll be bringing a lot of insight as to the future of that space. So folks, thanks for listening to AOA today. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow right back here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.